Good evening, and welcome to Season 2 of Death Mysteries. I'm going to start off 2021 by recording an episode that I've been thinking about since I began Death Mysteries. It's on a place that is near and dear to my heart. It's a natural wonder that brings people from all across the globe to view it, right here to little old southern Oregon. I'm talking about Oregon's only national park. Not only is it beautiful, but there are more unexplained deaths, more disappearing people, plane crashes, helicopters disappearing, unsolved murders. I have a huge outline sitting in front of me with so many things to go over that it's going to be a two-part episode. So hang tight. And, uh, well, did I mention it's cold down here? It's really freaking cold in my basement, but it's nowhere near as cold as Crater Lake. So Crater Lake was actually first discovered by white settlers around 1870, and it instantly drew the attention of the U.S. government. One of the first explorers in the area to view the lake was a man, a doctor named P.C. Munson, and he was a federal government employee. He was stationed at the Klamath Indian Reservation uh, near Klamath Falls, which is just outside of Crater Lake, and he was taking a hike to explore the lake, and he went up to a viewpoint, and as he was coming down, or I'm not quite sure, I've read a couple of different reports, as he was either ascending or descending from this cliff, he had a fatal heart attack and he died. And that is our first recorded death, and this was in 1872, of a settler white person explorer in the area. So we're off to a good start. One of the first people to see it, who's not a Klamath Indian, is, well, dies suddenly uh, while viewing the lake. So in the Klamath language, Crater Lake is known as Giwas, that's G-I-I-W-A-S, which means the home of the Great Spirit or the abode of the Great Spirit. And in their mythology, they actually have two gods that fight over Crater Lake. Skell, who is the sky god, fights Lao, and Lao is the god of the underworld, and they want to control Crater Lake. So this has a very, very sacred significance to the Klamath people. Uh, and we'll actually touch on that a little bit later on. Uh, the Klamath have been in the area for many thousands of years, and there's even some 
Uh, well, there's some oral history that says that they may have been in the area 7,000 years ago when Crater Lake was formed, and they may have actually witnessed it and handed down stories, or handed down, and told stories through the generations in oral history about the explosion of Mount Mazama and the formation of Crater Lake. So they've probably been here since the beginning and witnessed the actual forming of this lake 7,000 years ago. Fascinating stuff. Crater Lake is actually the deepest lake in the United States and the second deepest lake in North America. And by some figures, it's either the ninth or the third deepest lake in the world. Third deepest if you're talking average depth and ninth deepest if you're talking about a, uh, a, well, a specific depth. How deep is Crater Lake? Well, it's 1,949 feet deep or 594 meters and as I said, it was formed probably about 7,700 years ago. They have this information because they actually sent robots to the bottom back in the 1980s, and they took uh, pollen samples and core samples from the sediment at the bottom of the lake, and they can date it to about 7,700 years ago for the formation. And, uh, and, well, and there's also that information that comes from the Klamath oral history, and they were probably in the area for somewhere around 10,000 years, and they witnessed the eruption. Uh, Crater Lake is surrounded by 1,200-foot cliffs from the rim to the bottom of the lake. And there is no drainage. There's no rivers or creeks going in or out of the lake. The entire thing is filled up by snowfall and rain. Uh, so there's no inlet. There's no outlet that we know of. The surface of the lake is at around 6,178 feet above sea level on average, and the rim of the lake is somewhere around uh, 73, 7,400 feet in elevation, so it's pretty high. It has snow almost year-round. I've been up there in July and seen snow all around the rim. So sometimes you get up there and the roads aren't even open in summertime because there's so much snow up there. It doesn't even melt uh, year-round. There's actually two islands in the lake, and one of them is called Wizard Island, and it's the bigger of the two islands, and it's actually got an elevation of about 750 feet, and you can take a boat over to Wizard Island, and we'll talk more about that later. Uh, I've never done it. I've never done the boat trip, but I want to. And there's another little island that's near Wizard Island called the Phantom Ship Island. Pretty creepy. Cool names for two islands in a really, really mysterious place. Mount Mazama is the ancestral mountain that blew its top to create Crater Lake. And it uh, is still considered an active volcano. There's thermal activity at the bottom of the lake, and there's some speculation that someday in the future it could blow its top again. Uh, I said that explorers first came to the area around 1870 to start viewing the lake. Well, the very first uh, report of the lake by a white man was a John Wesley Hillman who traveled to the area in 1853, and this is right around the time when people from the Anglo Society were starting to populate Oregon. The Oregon Trail was a big thing. Uh, people were coming out here. There was pockets of people, but everything was stagecoach-related, and this area, I actually have a house that's uh, pretty close to me, built around 1850, uh, which is called Fort Birdseye, and it was part of the uh, Modoc and Klamath Indian Wars back in the day, hence the name Fort Birdseye. And I actually live on Birdseye Creek Road, and I drive by the place all the time. One really cool thing about Crater Lake is that you can see an average of 175 feet 
in the water. So that's pretty good visibility. There are no native fish to the lake, but it was actually stocked up until about 1940, 1941 with salmon and trout. So people still fish it with these stocked fish populations remaining there. There's a lack of aerobic activity in the lake. So there's low bacteria levels. So when trees or other things fall in the lake, they don't decompose quickly. So there's a lot of bodies in Crater Lake that have never been recovered. And chances are they're in pretty good shape still because there's not a lot of bacteria in the lake. They're probably sitting there kind of like uh, icy, cold water mummies, I'm guessing. Okay, so I am going to start all the way back around 1910, and I'm going to work my way to the present day. And I'm going to go over each and every case that I could find doing my research. And I'm going to give you some of the facts about them, and I'm going to tell you what I think may or may not have happened. In 1910, back before Crater Lake was part of the National Park Service portfolio, it was owned by the state of Oregon. And the Rim Hotel was either freshly built or being constructed. There was a group of contractors that were up at Crater Lake, and they were building the superintendent's home, who was going to look after the park. And this was at a place called Annie Spring. There were forest fires raging around the park. And we know something about forest fires here in the West. We've had a lot of them in recent, well, in recent memory. I uh, have been personal witness to some really, really nasty fires. I watched my parents' house burn to the ground in Santa Rosa in 2017. And many, many of my friends lost their homes in that fire. I was right in the middle of it. I can tell you a forest fire, a uh, natural disaster like that, it doesn't happen in the blink of an eye. It takes a long time uh, to play its way out. I was here in Oregon uh, for the fire that happened back in September when we lost uh, 2,600 homes in the town of Talent and South Medford. I was right here in the middle of that for, for that time. So I'm always curious about fires. There was a group of men who were working on this superintendent's home. There was forest fires raging. Two of the men said, hey, we're done with work for the day. We're going to go take a walk in the woods. We're going to see what we can see. We're going to see what the fire's doing. They walked off and were never seen again. In 1911, a photographer named B.B. Bukowski wanted to go up to the lake to photograph it, and this was around February, so he wanted to photograph it in the snow in the wintertime. He got all his equipment together. He left his home in Oregon City. He told some people where he was going, and he set off for Crater Lake. He made it all the way up to the Rim Hotel, and it was storming. It was wintertime. And he holed up there for the night. We know he made it there because the search party actually found his photography equipment at the Rim Hotel. I don't think there was anybody else there. It was a hotel, but even today, the hotel is not inhabited during wintertime. As I said, it's, it's closed up. It is, uh, well, it's underneath 10, yeah, underneath 10 feet of snow, right? So a search party went out to look for B.B. Bukowski. It took them somewhere around 12 days to make it from Eagle Point all the way up to the Rim Hotel. And they found his photography equipment, but they never found B.B. Bukowski. He is still missing to this day. So flash forward a couple of years to 1917. The state of Oregon deeds the entire Crater Lake area to the federal government, the National Park Service. So with new federal funding, they're going to create a better road system up there. There's something called the Rim Road. It's actually a 33-mile loop that goes all the way around the rim of Crater Lake. And this road was 
basically under construction. In 1917, the chief powder monkey, what a cool job title, you're the chief powder monkey, uh, basically the guy in charge of all the dynamite and explosives to create this awesome road that goes all the way around the lake. He blew himself up, I think somewhere near Lau Rock, uh, and Lau Rock is a prominent outcropping. And I will check it out next time I'm up there and see if I can walk right up to Lau Rock and maybe see exactly where Chief Powder Monkey Turner blew himself up. In 1926, a man falls to his death near the Lake Trail, which is actually where the road that goes down to Cleetwood Cove is today. This was back before there was a road. It was really just a glorified trail, not even good enough for wagons. And I don't have a name on this guy. I just have a little report, a little snippet that says, Man Falls to Death. That's it. 1926. On November 16th of 1930, the head ranger of the park, a one William Godfrey, sets out on a journey into the park from his home in Klamath Falls to see if he can check on the caretakers that are actually up at the Rim Hotel. He tries to go in through the west entrance, but finds himself uh, unable to do so. So he drives around to the south entrance, and he's going to try to ski into the park, but it's getting dark. So he waits out the night in his car. He gets up early in the morning. He uses a telephone that was actually at the south entrance to call in to an operator in Klamath Falls. He actually finds out, uh, making contact with some other rangers, that the people inside the park were indeed trapped and needed to be helped out. So being a good ranger and all, uh, Chief William Godfrey, that's a cool name, he sets off on his skis to try to rescue these people. Well, he gets lost in a snowdrift, and he is found by another rescue party that goes in after him after they lose contact on the 17th, and he's almost frozen to death, but he's still alive. They rescue him, and they get him back to civilization, and they try to warm him up, but he dies anyway. And I can only imagine the the heartbreak, the excitement of being, you know, you think you're dead, then you're rescued, and then you die anyway. Uh, well, anyway, he was, a, he was kind of a heroic guy. I mean, I, I don't think I would want to go into a snowstorm to try to go find people up at Crater Lake. I mean, you know, you're risking your life, and he was, and he paid the ultimate price. And they actually renamed uh, part of the park after him called Godfrey's Glen. So if you're ever there and you wonder who was Godfrey, he was the chief ranger who died in 1930 during a rescue effort. So in my research, there's a very limited amount of information on my timeline for some of these events. In 1933, I have a report of a young woman falling to her death from the Rim Road, and we don't know her name or anything else about her. At the end of this, I'll probably count up all of the uh, falls to their death and give you a, a final total in case you don't want to keep track throughout the episode. On November 11th, 1934, two young women set off on a sightseeing trip in their brand-new Chevrolet from Hollywood, California. Their names were Doris Sparks, age 27, and Audrea Mardell, age 33. Their occupation was beauty, uh, beauty demonstrators, whatever the heck that is. So these two women set off. They drove up the coast. They were last seen somewhere around Crescent City at a service station, and they had plans to go to Klamath Falls to visit some friends. Well, this actually was the last time anybody saw them for quite a long time. 
They disappeared sometime around November 12th while they were driving. A very, very large search effort was underway for the next six months looking for these two young women. Local sheriffs basically feared that they had driven into a lake, driven into a river. Uh, you know, it was winter time, and they couldn't find their car anywhere, and they couldn't find any evidence of these two young women. Uh, and remember, there's no cell phones. Uh, credit cards aren't even really a thing back then. Uh, credit cards weren't really a thing until the 1960s or 70s. I, most people don't realize that. You couldn't track their, their activity uh, like you could today. So basically, they just had a clue that they were last seen in uh, uh, Crescent City and that they may have been heading to Klamath Falls. Um, I think their, uh, their eventual destination was probably up in Portland or Seattle. Uh, but the friends in Klamath Falls had never seen them. Uh, I don't think the FBI got involved, but there's a there's like a kind of a mini media storm. I guess not a whole lot was going on in the late 30s, early or late 34, early 35 uh, around here, except for this story of these women missing. So everybody's looking for them for about six months. Well, you know, I'm not sure if this goes back to basically what I said in, in some of my other episodes about missing people, if your family isn't out looking for you and getting the sheriff out there, chances are nobody's going to find you. It's up to your family to really foot the bill and to do the legwork if you go missing. So I'm, I guess their families were out there looking for them, um, but eventually they are found. The working theory for what happened to Doris Sparks and Audrea Mardell is that they had driven up towards uh, Crater Lake. They had actually driven past a road closed sign, and it was pretty snowy out. I'm not sure if they were trying to go see the, the lake or if they were lost or combination of the two. They made it up the road past the road closed sign near the east entrance, and I guess they decided this is getting to be too much for our brand-new Chevrolet, We'd better turn around. Uh, obviously, they didn't have four-wheel drive or anything. And even if you have four-wheel drive, when there's that much snow up there, there's no getting around it. Trust me, I know I've done a lot of driving in the snow in four-wheel drive. Sometimes you can do it, but a lot of times you can't. So as they were trying to turn around somewhere around Sand Creek, they backed up and hit a guardrail, probably slid in the snow a little bit. The guardrail gave way, and they plunged 150 feet down the embankment and ended up dying in this car crash. Uh, probably a slow-motion car crash, kind of like the kind you see in the movies. And exactly six months to the day from when they disappeared on April 12th, their bodies were discovered at the bottom of the Sand Creek, uh, basically the Sand Creek drainage. And the Park Service actually says back in November that they looked in the location where the car was eventually found, and they did not see it back then. It wasn't until the snows melted and people could really get a good look that the car revealed itself with the two dead young ladies inside. In 1935, four men were arrested for stabbing another man to death on the Rim Road, and they were purported members of the local mafia. Yes, we have a mafia here in Southern Oregon. I don't know how true that was, but there's just a short little article about this in the uh, Southern Oregon Historical Society. There's not much about this mentioned afterwards. So who knows what happened with that case? A lot of times things weren't really 
locked onto and put in the press if it was just a mafia murder. Uh, you know, we didn't have the internet back then, so there's probably more information out there, but I just can't find it by digging through the archives. Also in 1935, a fisherman drowns on August 31st while fishing in that beautiful, beautiful lake. And then in, uh, I think it was November of 1935, so about a year after the beauty demonstrators disappeared, a young man, uh, only 12 years old, a Francis Fraley, what a cool name, double F, Francis Fraley, I'm not even going to try to say it again. Uh, okay, so uh, he basically is out with a Christian group on the rim of the lake, and he's snow, I guess they're all snowshoeing and sledding and that kind of stuff. Well, he uh, gets away from the group a little bit, and he ends up falling right behind the lodge. And if you've ever been to Crater Lake, you know that the cliffs behind the lodge are really steep. There's not much more than a knee-high little wall to keep you in, and if there's a lot of snow out, there's no wall because the snow covers the wall up. In July of 1936, another tourist, a man, falls to his death, the Senate Overlook. In 1937, a young woman falls from her death from the same Senate Overlook. And Senate is pronounced or spelled S-I-N-N-O-T-T, so it's not like the Senate uh, you know, that legislative body that we all have so much confidence in. It's uh, somebody's last name spelled completely differently. On October 21st, 1938, a man dies of a heart attack unexpectedly uh, right at the entrance as snows began to fall. And it was probably getting close to when they were going to close the roads. It was near the end of the season. And then on October 23rd, just a couple of days later, a man working with the road team blasting rocks and trying to clean up the place and put in a new road. Uh, he's killed in an explosion. So that's two deaths, two, uh, basically three days apart from each other. On September 26th of 1939, a young woman is with her family uh, hiking in the park uh, somewhere, I guess, close to the west entrance. And uh, I don't know what her name is. I just have this on my little timeline that I got from the Historical Society and she disappears and is never seen again. In June of 1942, we have yet another man who falls to his death from Senate Overlook. And, you know, this is a pretty dangerous place. Uh, we have lots of people falling to death from the same spot over and over and over. So I think next time I'm up at the park, I'm going to go over to the Senate Overlook and I'm going to see how close I can get to the edge and try to take a selfie and, uh, yeah, I'm not going to do that. That sounds like a really bad idea. Were they trying to take selfies back in the 1930s and 40s? Well, probably not a selfie, but they were probably trying to pose for photography because we know that photography has been a, a really big part of American society and international society since the, well, since the 1880s, really, when it became more and more... Uh, accessible and most of the time you had to have professional photographers to take your photo in a portrait gallery and you guys have all seen the uh you know the old-timey movies where they show the photographer with the giant flash bulb and the huge box you know the brownie camera the tripod um we know that early photos you know you basically had to sit really really still and they would actually use uh pens and sticks and that kind of stuff 
to rest your arms and your chin and all that kind of stuff in place because you had to stay still for so long to get the exposure you wanted to be able to make a photograph. Uh, by the 1930s and 40s, we actually had the invention of smaller, more handheld photos. We had film that you could purchase. It was really the beginning of the commercial film industry where it was becoming more and more accessible uh, to the average person to actually own a camera and learn how to use it. Um, do we have any pictures of these people right before they fell to their death? Well, I haven't been able to find any, but there are plenty of photos of people online doing silly stuff in dangerous places next to cliffs, next to lions, uh, next to, you know, giant waves. Um, well, cliffs is a, a big one for people dying, taking selfies or getting their photo taken. And we hear about this all the time where people fall over the edge of waterfalls or off of cliffs while posing. So I'm imagining that a lot of these people who fall to their death, they're posing or they're they're doing something to get you know other people's attention, seeing how close they can get. Um, yeah, I'm not afraid of heights, and I like to get close to them. I like to get close to edges, and I've I've even jumped out of a plane. I've done all kinds of stuff, uh, but I'm not going to get so close to the edge that I could fall down and die. At least not on purpose. So back in the early 1940s. The U.S. military, uh, the Air Force, and the Army, Air, I guess it was the Army Air Force. Um, so they had a large base uh, here at White City, and they had another base out in Klamath Falls. And there were bases all up and down the coast uh, of Oregon, Washington, and California. This was a strategic stronghold. It was, you know, there were tens of thousands of service members in and around uh, Jackson and Klamath County. And there was a bunch of uh, F-18 Hellcats stationed out in Klamath Falls. And they would take regular training missions, and they would fly over Klamath, uh, Klamath Falls. They would fly over Crater Lake. They would uh, do practice bombing runs out in eastern Oregon. They would practice their maneuvers. And uh, even today, I occasionally see military aircraft from where I live. And I see these large Chinook helicopters. I've seen fighter jets uh, flying literally below the, uh, below the hilltops uh, through the valleys around here. So I know there's a lot of activity still going on here. Uh, anyway, so these F-18 Hellcats, it's actually reported by a couple of people who were stationed there that they lost one or two Hellcats every month out near Crater Lake. And it wasn't just Hellcats that were stationed out at Crater Lake. They actually had a, um, a squadron of Grumman torpedo planes, which sounds pretty cool. Uh, probably pretty good against the Japanese out in the Pacific. And so on, uh, I think it was late April, early May of 1944, one of these torpedo planes actually crashed into the lake while doing a uh, kind of a practice mission, and the plane was never found. And according to an Army airman named Dan Jackman, who gave an interview in the 1990s about his time back uh, stationed at Klamath Falls in the 40s, he says that they were losing one or two planes a week around Crater Lake, just disappearing. So that's a lot of planes and a lot of men. And he actually knew a few people. Uh, they lost a gunnery ship. Um, they lost, uh, he lost a couple of friends that went out flying and never came back. And the important, well, the, the curious thing about all this is that these planes were never found. Uh, so there are tons of crash planes in and around Crater Lake. And I imagine some of them have sunk all the way to the bottom of Crater Lake, 1,949 feet deep. It's pretty hard to find a plane at that depth. Uh, 
you know, and there's probably silt at the bottom. But it's also a place that I like to go mushroom hunting. And it is vast wilderness up there. You could walk within 20 feet of an airplane, especially one that it crashed, uh, you know, a long time ago and not find, not see it. You'd literally have to step on it. You can't see uh, through the trees. I mean, we're talking fir trees and dug fir and, and uh, basically really tall pine trees. And some of this is so dense that if a plane went down, you would never be able to see it through all the brush. And there's no roads in a lot of this area. I mean, there are forestry roads, there are logging roads, but a vast, vast majority of the area around Crater Lake is true wilderness that is inaccessible unless you had a helicopter. And even then, you couldn't land a helicopter because the, the trees are so dense and thick, you'd have to repel down like some kind of Navy SEAL or something. Uh, so this is kind of fascinating. I imagine all these planes lost in the woods up there, you know, with their uh, with their pilots sitting there, probably still in their uniform, uh, well-preserved because it snows a lot up there, and just kind of like, uh, you know, zombie, zombie skeleton crews, I'm imagining. Uh, I do remember this episode of MacGyver back in the 1980s when I was a kid, and he found a plane, a uh, military plane, out in the snow that had was carrying a bunch of Nazi gold or something, and all of the uh, all of the servicemen who died on the plane were still dressed in their uniforms, and I remember this like vividly sticks in my mind. Being a kid, I'm like, "Whoa, that's so cool! Look at those, uh, you know, look at those kind of those corpses in their uniforms." And uh, I kind of want to find a plane with some Nazi gold in it. Anyway, on December third, nineteen forty-five, a well-documented crash actually happened. And the only reason this one is well-documented is because of what happens 25 years after this. A Hellcat fighter plane is out near Skellhead, and it's doing maneuvers around the park. And it's actually a group of seven planes that had left Redding, California, on their way to Klamath Falls, and then they were going to be headed on to Washington after refueling. So they're out on training mission, the snow and the uh, sleet, the ice, uh, basically the weather systems kind of, uh, you know, became very, very unnavigable. Um, and the seven planes had to drop, had to actually drop down really, really low. So they were flying a couple of hundred feet above the tree canopy and they lost sight of each other. It was such thick snow and fog and that kind of stuff that these seven planes basically had to fly by instrument. And when they finally got past Crater Lake, there was only six planes. They never actually found, well, not never, but they didn't actually find out what happened to the seventh plane for 25 years. All right. Well, I think that's a pretty good place to leave off on my two-part episode to be continued about Crater Lake. I actually have to get ready to go to work, and I kind of want to keep recording, but I got to stop for tonight, and I'm going to get this one kind of dubbed up and uh, remastered and out to you uh, probably by tomorrow morning, uh, maybe tomorrow evening, and then I hope you enjoy listening to it. So, uh, Get ready for part two, where we come back with even more crazy stuff about Crater Lake. And I think this is about the halfway mark. I'm trying to keep my episodes to around 31 minutes. So if you're really, really fascinated by Crater Lake, or you have another place that's like Crater Lake in your state or where you live, that has lots of creepy, weird stuff happening around it, uh, you can always email me 
uh, or contact me on social media, uh, deathmysteriespodcast at gmail.com, or go on to my YouTube channel, which is Death Mysteries, and send me a little message there. Uh, you can also find me on my Facebook group, which is just Death Mysteries. And if you join the group, you can directly message me. Uh, again, I'm your host, Kingman Von Graham, and I'm having a lot of fun making these episodes. So hang in there. Part two coming up for you in about a week, maybe even a little bit sooner.